0: Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of To The Point Podcast. Hope you're all doing well today. I know I am. Another beautiful day here, and lots to get into in the sports world with news coming out from the NHL regarding a new general manager, historic hiring, which we're going to get into today, and a couple signings, a buyout that I actually predicted yesterday. Didn't know it was going to happen today. On this show, I say when I'm wrong, I say when I'm right. Well, when Noah's right, we talk about it. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about Major League Baseball. I really, I did a deep dive last night because I was watching tennis from yesterday. I watched about four hours of tennis last night that I had taped. Didn't, don't regret it for a second. Loved every second of watching tennis with Nick Curios, who is his own story. But I'm watching tennis and I'm like, well, okay, let's do some work for the podcast at the same time. And I went through all the Major League Baseball teams. I looked at different targets for starting pitcher and then on the bullpen that teams can look at acquiring. And so I have a list of guys that these are not just for, you know, obviously you got Toronto, close to Toronto, you're in a Canadian city here, but I'm just talking in general. These are teams, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, who are red hot. Go through Major League Baseball teams should be kicking tires on saying, Can we try to get this guy? I think we might need another. We need more bullpen depth to win a World Series. Whatever the circumstance may be, teams should be looking at these type guys to add to their rosters. We're gonna go through all that today. Interesting uh, battle again. I've been talking with NL Central a ton. We'll talk about that today. I love that division. And yeah, lots to get into today. No, no big news on the Kevin Durant front yet. uh, Reports. This afternoon from Sham Sharania from The Athletic that the Kyrie Irving-Russell Westbrook trade, supposed trade, has sizzled down. There's not much to report on and even said in the report he's not so sure it's going to happen anymore. So it might look like LeBron James is stuck in Los Angeles with Russell Westbrook for another year. And yes, the, the Lakers are worse off, but they weren't winning a title with Kyrie Irving. They had Kyrie Irving with AD and LeBron. They weren't winning, and I'll tell you why. You need depth to win. You need depth to win in the NBA now. Celtics got far. They didn't have enough depth. Golden State did. Golden State won primarily because they had guys that could make shots when they needed to in specific games. The Lakers have LeBron, who's 37 years old. They have Anthony Davis, who his agent's posting workout photos and posting that he's shooting free throws. I don't know if you deserve a medal and if you deserve credit for working on your craft, but he's doing that. And then you got Westbrook and a bunch of clutch sports, but a bunch of clutch clients basic. And if you're not familiar, clutch sports is LeBron James's network. It's his, it's his company. Rich Paul works with him and Rich Paul's an agent, but this is all cycled through LeBron. Anthony Davis is a clutch client. Russell Westbrook is a clutch client. Lonnie Walker, the fourth, is a clutch client. Go through the list of Los Angeles Lakers, and you'll notice who their management team is. They're normally clutch sports. They're normally represented by Rich Paul. That is not lost on me. The Lakers are in, are bad, particularly because they have a whole bunch of clutch clients that don't fit into a roster that's going to win. Russell Westbrook stinks. Yes. But LeBron James deserves blame for how bad this team is. People don't want to admit that. People don't want to talk about it. You can look at Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. Does he deserve blame? Absolutely. Asking for a trade after all of this, it's weak. It's... It's quite pathetic because he wanted Kyrie Irving. He chose Kyrie Irving to be his running mate. He chose to keep DeAndre Jordan, to sign DeAndre Jordan to a three-year deal, rather than keep Jared Allen, who made, oh, yeah, the All-Star game last year. And DeAndre Jordan's been waived three times in the last two seasons. He decided to bring in, he decided to keep Blake Griffin. It was all these guys. He takes the blame for that. In the media, you don't hear, well, LeBron should take some blame for Russell Westbrook. In the NBA, the great players decide, and you run it by them, do you want this guy? Hockey, I really don't think it's that way. If McKinnon was playing in Colorado, and they said, we're bringing in Kadri. He's not getting a call. They'll call him after the deal is done. They're not asking his input whether he wants Nazem Kadri or not. It's not a discussion. We're doing it. Suck it up. In the NBA, you go to your star players. And LeBron James said, I'll take Russell Westbrook. I'll take Lonnie Walker Jr. the fourth. I'll take a team last year that had no shooting. I'll take a team full of guys that, let's just be honest, couldn't shoot threes. LeBron James is not a good three-point shooter. You fill a team with guys that can't shoot threes. They shot the third worst percentage in the National Basketball Association last year. That's on LeBron. He's the great guy. He wants to be an owner. He wants to be a better owner than Michael Jordan when he's done playing ball. That shouldn't be that hard. Michael Jordan's the worst owner in basketball today. His teams stink. They've never been good since he took over the Charlotte Hornets slash Pelicans slash whatever Bobcats that it was 15 years ago. But if I'm the Brooklyn Nets, Kyrie Irving is on an expiring contract. If he requests a trade, I don't care. If he doesn't play, I don't care. Because you can acquire Russell Westbrook in expiring contract. You're not going to flip Russell Westbrook. You make that deal, it's one deal. Unless you're getting pieces, which in this case, if you if you traded for Russell Westbrook, the first round pick, the near the first round pick that you're going to get from the Lakers is in 2027. How valuable is that? Well, we don't know. It's four years away, or five years or whatever years, many years away now. It's not like it's next year. It's not like it could be a lottery pick next season. It's in 2027, not to mention the Lakers have no great prospects you can send back. Taylor Horton Tucker is not valuable anymore. Malik Monk is in Sacramento. Go through this team. There's nobody of value that you want other than Anthony Davis And the Lakers aren't going to give up Anthony Davis. So this conversation is moot. This trade made no sense when it started. It still makes no sense. The Nets want to do them a favor? Getting a twenty twenty-seven first is not a victory. Let Kyrie sit. A team at the trade deadline will be desperate and say he's on an expiring contract. We don't have to keep him. We can take him for a year. Let's try to win a championship. You'll get more than Russell Westbrook. I guarantee you that. Now, will the Nets move Kevin Durant? I mentioned yesterday, if I had to put money down, and I'll be upfront with you guys, I put $10 last night on Kevin Durant being a Brooklyn Net come October. You can make bets now, and this is how great the gambling industry is. You can it's a set date. Will Kevin Durant be on the Brooklyn Nets roster next season? You can you can move up your dates. It's very it's a flex, it's a cool betting system, especially on FanDuel. And I put ten bucks on Kevin Durant being a Brooklyn net come mid October. Just prior to the start of next season, I could see him getting moved in training camp potentially. But unless something opens up, unless the Toronto Raptors and Masayu Ujiri want to push themselves into the mix of being a contender, of being relevant again, unless Kevin Durant swallows his ego and says, I'll go back to Golden State. To me, the Golden State swap makes a whole lot of sense, but it's not going to happen because Kevin Durant will not swallow his pride and go back. Kevin Durant going back to Golden State would signify that he needs Golden State in order to win. He needs Golden State in order to be a champion. He went there because he couldn't win in an OKC. And in my heart of hearts, I believe he doubted the fact that he could win anywhere else without a defying team that had already won a championship, that had been a two finals. Sure, he can say he wants to go to Phoenix. Maybe if he gets traded there, are they going to win? You have 38-year-old Chris Paul, who's injured all the time, who comes up small in big games. You Kevin Durant himself, who's injured every year. Devin Booker isn't exactly Mr. Clutch. Mikael Bridges is an off- offensive liability. DeAndre Ayton won't be there if you trade for him. Doesn't sound like a team that's going to win. Miami Heat's going to lose Jimmy Butler in that potential trade. They'll lose Tyler Hero. And I just don't, again, there's no set place where you say they're the new favorites to win the title. I'm sure Vegas, I'm sure the betting sites will have Kevin Durant, wherever he goes, I guarantee within five minutes of him going there, they will be the favorite to win the NBA title. That doesn't mean it's rational. That doesn't mean it's smart. They want suckers to bet on it. I'm telling all of you, if it does happen, don't. Unless it's Toronto or Golden State, then I think it's a smart bet. Put a future on Golden State winning the NBA champion. If it's Phoenix, if it's Miami, if it's any of these other teams other than those two, I don't care what team in the league it is, don't put money on it because it's not going to happen. He's not going to Denver. He's not going to the Clippers. Other teams I could see where that would make a big difference. They can't afford him. They can't make that trade. So... Brooklyn, the Lakers. It's I think it's gonna be at a standstill for a while. We're in the part of NBA for agency where things still have to happen. DeAndre Ayton is done his rookie deal. He's gonna he's gonna be looking for a rookie max extension. I don't think Phoenix is going to give it to him. But to me, Phoenix is in a holding pattern because they want to acquire Kevin Durant. They don't want to close that door if they trade DeAndre Ayton prior to trading for Kevin Durant. I think that's over because I don't think they have enough assets is Aiton's going to be involved in the trade, no matter what, if you ask me. So that's not going to work. So there's moves still can be made. I think the Atlanta Hawks are open to doing something. They got John Collins on that roster. They need to sign Deandre Hunter so they can make moves, but I think it's going to be quiet for some time now until this is sorted out. And, we see people rescind trade requests. We see teams and players make ups, so to speak. The Boston Bruins and Jake DeBrusk announced yesterday that Jake DeBrusk has rescinded his trade request. He's got two years of $8 million left on that deal. He's going to stay in Boston and play out the rest of their contract. So they eventually they got past it. There's a new coach. I think he's excited about the new coach and Jim Montgomery. Hasn't had him yet, but I'm sure he's excited Just he's excited not to see Bruce Cassidy's face. He gets a fresh start. And he gets a, a fresh opportunity to be the guy that they hoped for when they drafted him. So over time, time heals all wounds. Kevin Durant has not earned the right to ask for a trade. Has not earned the right to to ask out of Brooklyn, quite frankly. But yet, he, he's asking for it because he can. That's the NBA. That is the state of the NBA right now, where you can ask out after accomplishing nothing. He's been to the second round. He hasn't been to a conference final in Brooklyn. They got swept last season, and yet he's asking for a deal out of there when he built the foundation of this team, and he can't close the deal. I wish the NBA wasn't like this. I didn't plan to start the show today talking about the NBA. That just came to mind, and you got a take or two. You might as well fire it off. Maybe we see some more fireworks in the the NBA. But for me, for right now, I expect it to be quiet for a little while because teams need to figure out what they're going to do. Teams need to figure out if they're going to push all in. Teams, they're going to, I think for a little while, teams are going to say, you know what? Brooklyn, you have a very high asking price for Kevin Durant. If teams aren't willing to give that to you, if the Toronto Raptors aren't willing to give trade off Scotty Barnes, if they aren't willing to trade off Pascal Siakam plus for Kevin Durant, then you say, okay, you let it sit for a month. Get let let it get into Labor Day. There's got to be pressure points to get closer to training camp. Then teams have some pressure to do something. Then you look at teams and say, Then you look at Brooklyn and say, well, have you rethought your, your, your stance? Or maybe by then Kevin Durant says, you know what? I got four years left on this deal. Let me at least play this year in Brooklyn. Kyrie's here one more year before his contract's up. Let's see if we can fulfill the prophecy and win a title together. There's no COVID restriction. There's no more of this crap in the air. Let's just play basketball. Got to rely on Kyrie being focused for extended period of time which I would have very little faith in. But maybe I could see that happening. Where both guys just say, you know what? I want to play with you. I want to play with you. Let's see if we can win together. We had faith that we could a cup, just a couple of years ago. And yes, the world has completely changed in so many ways. In so many ways. Went through a pandemic. We went through a complete war on... on uh, on, on the police and on how we view, you know, how, how we view the, the black community and with school shootings and with, with sports and jet playing in bubbles, the world has completely shifted, but now we're starting to get back to pre pandemic. I think we're there now. I think enough people have been out and about. You're, you're going to sporting events. You're going in mass crowds. You're not worried about, you're not mask crowds, not mask. If I did, if it did come off as mask, because I'm not wearing, I'm not putting fuck, a fucking mask on anymore. But you, you're in a, a mosh pit of people. Cavendish Beach Music Festival is this weekend. I'm sure lots of people are going. You're not worried about getting COVID. If you are, stay home. But if you look at Kyrie Irving and say, "We're back to where we were when we signed our deals," if Kevin Durant can pitch this, you're healthy. I'm healthy. We're at the peak of our powers. Kevin Durant's saying, I'm 34 years old, Kyrie. I only have so many years left that I can win championships. Let's try to do it together. Because trading Kevin Durant to a new system, to a new team where he has to figure this all out on the fly, I don't think it's going to work. Because I don't think the pieces are good enough around him to win a title. In the East... It's no lock that they win in Brooklyn. To me, Milwaukee is still the best team. Yes, they lost to the Celtics last year, but they didn't have Chris Middleton. I think they have Chris Middleton. They beat the Celtics. The Celtics, I mentioned I love their offseason. I like getting Malcolm Brogdon, despite his injury history, and I like Danilo Gallinari. He's always playing tough. He's on winning teams. He always seems to find his way into the playoffs, and you know what? he'll give you good minutes, and he can make his shots. So Boston and Milwaukee, to me, even if Kevin Durant and Kyle Irving stay together, are bigger favorites than Brooklyn. They won't be, probably won't be on gambling sites, but to me, it's quite simple. They are. Bring back Patty Mills. Bring you know They signed TJ Warren today. He's another guy that is constantly injured, but can be a great player when healthy. Missed the whole season last year in Indiana. It's a flyer signing, but the guy can be a good player. You acquired Rose O'Neill, who can be a wing defender for Brooklyn. They didn't have many wing defenders last year. He replaces Bruce Brown. I like that roster, and it won't be easy to get through the East. And Kevin Durant might look and say, I have a much easier time of getting to the finals out West, which I don't disagree with. It'd be easier to get to the final in Phoenix than it would in Brooklyn. But are you going to beat the team in the Eastern Conference when you get there? Sure, you might get to a finals. But can you beat the Milwaukee Bucks when you get there? I Slay the dragon before the final. And again, I don't think Phoenix is trading for Kevin Durant. And I don't think Brooklyn is trading Kevin Durant to Phoenix unless they get Devin Booker in return. Then it's no point on making the trade because it's like the Carbell Anthony trade where he, he wanted to go to the Knicks from the Denver Nuggets. The second he got there... Uh, the Knicks had to trade off all their depth, all their good pieces to Denver to get Carl Man- Carmel Anthony. And he gets there and goes, well, who the hell am I playing with? And he had J.R. Smith and a cascade of other guys who couldn't play. They never got past the second round. And that trade looks like an abysmal failure now. The NBA is always pivoting. Team, A team can spring up and make something happen any day of the week as we know in pro sports. But do I expect to see it in the next couple of days, or even the next couple of weeks? I don't. By August 1st, I think Kevin Durant will still be a Brooklyn net. That's a prediction. We'll revisit it as we get there. I was going to start the show today with tennis and at Wimbledon at the all England club. Because I mentioned yesterday at the tail end of the show that the tournament's been phenomenal. And I think Wimbledon has to be happy with how the tournament's gone. Primarily because they lost so many players before the tournament started. No Andre Rublev. No Matteo Berrettini. No Marin Cilic. No Roberto Bautista Agut. uh, No uh, Daniil Medvedev. No Victoria Azarenka. Alina Svetolina. You go through the number of players that were not at this event for Andy Fernandez, all the players that were not able to play because of COVID, because of the war, because of injury, it doesn't matter. The, uh, Wimbledon was missing a lot of great talent. And I'll be honest, I started the tournament with a very pessimistic attitude. I always thought, well, if Djokovic or Nadal wins Wimbledon, then I really don't view this tournament as a lesser product. If somebody like, for instance, a Yannick Sinner, a Taylor Fritz wins their first major. Again, I don't like to put asterisks on things. I don't like to diminish somebody's accomplishment, but I can't look past the fact that you beat a bunch of unranked players, a bunch of guys that wouldn't be in this position. I believe if those great players were here, if, if, if they were there. So I had that pessimistic attitude to start. But the product has been very, very good. And you're seeing some great stories, which is always good. Let's start with the men's draw. I've been talking about Nick Kyrgios all tournament long. He is the most entertaining act in tennis. He's in the quarterfinal tomorrow. We're going to see him battle Christian Guerin, who's another unranked player. So two unranked opponents in in the quarterfinal at at Wimbledon, if you can believe it. Curiosity today, it's been revealed he's due in Australian court next month for an alleged assault on his ex-girlfriend. He could face up to two years in prison. So he's got all that swirling around him, which is terrible. If it's true, lock him up. But I'm not going to talk about that today. I'm going to talk about the tennis. A guy who is normally completely unhinged, a guy that is normally erratic and out of control has been quite calm throughout this tournament now Wimbledon and grass has always been Kyrgios's best surface it's always where he's enjoyed playing the most but to see him beat stefano sissipas one of the best players in the world twice in three weeks has been quite impressive to see him play sissipas who's a top five player in the world and have sissipas his cool and Kyrgios stay calm was impressive to see Curios win a five-set match when he loses the fourth set quite easily to Brandon Nakashima yesterday and have the perseverance in the fifth set to remain calm, to get a break, and to stomp on Nakashima's throat when he had the chance. He did not let him break back. He did not let him get back into the match. He's not going to be for everybody, Nick Curios, He's very erratic. He's very – he's himself, for better or for worse – to me, he's a great act for tennis. Kyrgios is a guy that if you're running an event, you want him to win a few matches. You want him to be there deep into the tournament because he puts asses in seats. He put, he gets people to watch the full tennis match. I rem- I was watching, this would have been on Sunday morning. He's playing pass, and I, I'm reading off Twitter that American pundits who normally talk basketball and football are tweeting about Nick Kyrgios about how the fact that he is so entertaining, the fact that they're rooting for Kyrgios and Aus- an Australian against uh, Nakashima, uh, um, a man who is is from is from um, is from the United States on the Fourth of July. So you have them going against their own countrymen to root for Nick Kyrgios. So he heads into tomorrow against Christian Garin. I think he's a big favorite. And I've talked about it, that if he wins tomorrow, if Rafael Nadal can take care of business against Taylor Fritz, who's had a great season, who's had a great run at this tournament, very little problems for him. He's had easy matches. He's coming in fresh. He'll play Nadal, who's been relatively fresh. This should be a compelling match. To me, Curios. I always get concerned because I look at Kyrios and say, you should beat Christian Garen. Garen had a five setter as well to get here. He came back from two sets down. And this is a letdown moment for Nick Kurios. This is a point in time where a player who has all the potential in the world, you expect him to win, will we'll have a letdown, will f- flutter off, and he can't reach that full potential. But I'm going to root, you know, that's my pick of the day. I got Nick Kyrgios winning the match tomorrow, getting to the semifinal. I'm also going to throw a little parlay with that with Nadal beating Taylor Fritz so that the two the two rivals who have played at Wimbledon before uh Kyrgios winning once in five sets Nadal winning once in four sets will meet for the third time the grudge match if you will to see these two meet again on Friday at Wimbledon to to square this all off to me is the best possible outcome because Nadal is not universally loved everywhere you have people criticize Rafael Nadal. They don't love that he has the same. Every time he he, he plays a match, he's, he's grabbing his ass and then he's wiping his hair and he's wiping the sweat. He's very OCD. He's very ADD, but he's also the greatest tennis player of all time. So you can mock his routine. You can mock what he does to get to where he is, but he's still the best. It's like saying, well, Wayne Gretzky didn't have a great stride. Or Wayne Gretzky, did. you know, his face-offs weren't, the way he did it was a weird stance. I don't care. Was he great when he got in the ice? Yeah, then shove it. I don't hear this criticism about Federer, because Federer was the greatest. Federer was such a nice guy. Okay, he's a nice guy. I've met tons of people that aren't nice people, but they're really great at what they do. You're telling me all these billionaires are great people? They're rich. Jeff Bezos, a great guy, wasting all that money going to space when he could give it to other charities. But it's his money; he can do what he wants with it. He's the best one of the one of the best business people in the world. Elon Musk, whatever you want to say. Joe Rogan, podcast game—I've got my critiques of him. But at this, but at the same time, you got to look and say, "Wow, these people are having a hell a lot of damn success." Maybe you don't love their path to that success, but they're still doing it. While Dominic Kashuk has a really erratic play in the net, but did it work for him? Yeah, it did. So at at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you get to that conclusion. It's the fact that that's the conclusion. It's the fact that he wins every match is the the fine line here. That's all that matters is he wins. Don't watch his matches then. You kind of have to if you only watch the final because he's winning every major this year. Expect him to get to another final. I expect that to be the first men's semifinal. Today's action. I was following it on my phone this morning, the Yannick Sinner-Novak Djokovic match. And Yannick Sinner had just defeated Carlos Alcaraz, who is an up-and-coming player. Sinner is also a very good player, a young player from Italy. And he's got all the talent in the world. Good-looking guy. He's a good tennis player. I think he's going to be around for a long time. But he goes up two sets to nine on Novak Djokovic. And I I saw it on my phone. And I even said. I think I said this out loud this morning to myself. Sanders losing this match. I haven't seen the match yet. I'm going to watch it tonight. So I don't know how he falls apart. But I do know the scores. The last three sets. And it wasn't close. So with all that being said. It's. Djokovic is amazing, too. And this is why. He's down two sets to none against a gr- a really good up-and-coming player. And he just wipes him out. He just wipes him out easy. Th- two sets down, relatively easy work. Gets by center. He's now in a semifinal where... You know, he's going to meet Cameron Norrie, the, the Brit who's been on a great run in front of a home crowd, play him in the semifinal where Norrie will be the heavy favorite, and Djokovic will be getting boos as a multiple-time champion, which he won't like, but it's the way she goes. But in this sense, I don't I don't love Novak Djokovic. I don't love the way he, he I, I guess, attitude's shitty. I think he thinks he's smarter than everybody else. And I certainly don't think he's any smarter than me, but I can't deny the fact that he's a great tennis player. I can't deny the fact that he wins a ton. And I I can't deny his ability on the, on the tennis on the court to, to just flat out win. That's what he does is he finds a way to win. He's down two sets to none. To me, he's still the favorite he's down. You know, Five love in a set, I don't rule him out because I know he can catch fire. I know he can do damage onto people. And something that he has now that I think he had in in Roland Garros but it didn't matter because Nadal is so damn good on clay is he's motivated. Djokovic, I believe, is pissed off that Rafael Nadal has won the first two majors of this season. They don't like each other. They have an Clearly, they're very competitive with one another. And Djokovic doesn't like the fact that he's multiple majors behind Rafael Nadal. The fact that most people, like me, see Nadal as the best tennis player of all time. And Djokovic, in all likelihood, is not going to be able to compete at the U.S. Open next month, at the end of the next month, because of the vaccine mandate. Because he's not vaccinated, you can't get into New York which means if he doesn't change his stance, he won't be playing at the U.S. Open. He might not be playing at the Australian Open for many years to come. Maybe New York, they change that rule eventually, but as of right now, that's the rule, which means he'd be eligible to play in two majors at Wimbledon and at the French. Well, as long as Nadal is playing, Nadal will be the favorite at the French and I'll I'll take Nadal to beat Djokovic every time they play. I'll be wrong every once in a while, but I won't be wrong that often because Nadal's won the event 14 damn times. But for Djokovic, he knows. Nadal is likely going to play at the U.S. Open. It'll be a larger field, although I haven't heard anything about Russian players being allowed, being uh, ineligible to play at the U.S. Open or uh, things of that nature. So there's still that up in the air, which we have to decide. I know... Uh, Hockey Canada and or the IIHF announced today that Russia and Belarus filed to be back in you know World Junior tournaments, be allowed back into these uh, the events around the world. You know U18s, the uh, the women's tournaments, things of that nature, and that that was denied by the IIHF. So they're still disallowed from from competing at these events. I disagree with that vehemently. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. I'm going to make a note of that, and I'll tell you why. Because I I just find that an interesting topic when we get off uh, tennis here. Um, But Djokovic is an all-time great. He proves it again today. And what it tells me, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, and it just gets reinforced every major. Djokovic and Nadal are old players. They're in their mid-30s they're extremely old men when it comes to tennis terms but the fact that these two guys can play this great this competitive at this age and be favorites at every event and have all these young guys who are in the best shape of their life and that you know they're they're up and coming and they're full of piss and vinegar and the fact that they can't beat them is quite astounding and for the men's field for, for the men's draw, I don't know if Djokovic and Nadal's dominance is that great because you can't anoint any of the young guys as the next one. Alcaraz, you cannot say that. Yes, he's won five titles this year, but he hasn't gotten to a, a final at a major yet. Sinner beats Alcaraz up two sets to love on Djokovic. He loses. Paz was up two love on Djokovic in a, in a major final. He loses. Medvedev, I'll credit as a guy that broke through. He beat Djokovic uh, two years ago at, at the U S open and he won that major. He deserves credit for that. So you, you could argue, argue Daniel Medvedev, but other than him, all these up young players that you hear about, maybe me, it was five, six years ago. It was, well, it's going to be Grigor Dimitrov. It's going to be Milos Raonic. They didn't get close to beating any of these guys. We're going through an entire generation of players where, These guys aren't going to beat these. Djokovic and Nadal might be able to pull a a full Tom Brady, and they might be able to retire because they want to, and not because the league forced them to. Tom Brady is still playing at a high level. He, if he retires from football, if he had stayed retired from football, it was not because he couldn't play anymore. It's not because his body was too battered. It was because, well, you know what? I'm done with football. I want to move on to something else. I want to go call games in the booth for Fox. Sometimes the game forces you to retire. That's what happens for most, most, most athletes is you just don't have it anymore. Your body's beat up. You can't keep up with the competition. And the league says, you know what? You're done. Your body's broken down. You can't play with us anymore. That's what happened to Roger Federer. It has not happened all in Nadal and Djokovic yet. And I think we do have to marvel at what these guys have done for almost 20 years is dominate a sport. Have generations of people come through and say, you know what, I'm the next one. Denis Shapovala, Felix Oli- Milos Raonic, all these guys here, but they're the next one. They're going to win a major in the djokovic Nadal era. They're not. Teams doesn't count at the U.S. Open because Djokovic was disqualified. You have to beat these guys to get there. Sinner had his opportunity today. It didn't work. Taylor Fritz has an opportunity tomorrow against Nadal. Maybe he'll beat him. I doubt it. Curios got to win a match. I think he's, for Curios, he's played a lot of long matches. You got to hope Nadal has a longer match tomorrow with Taylor Fritz, which is totally possible because Fritz is playing really good tennis. And I think he's coming in extremely confident that he can win this match. But Curios is the type of, he's beaten Nadal at Wimbledon before. So he's going in already knowing I can beat this guy here. I've done it. It was uh, many years ago, but he's done it. But for the men's game, to me, it's not as compelling as it used to be because, compared to the women's game because the women's game is so fluid. The women's game is so unpredictable. It It's baffling from one major to the next who's going to have success. If you look at the beginning of today, which was the start of the quarterfinals, there was one champion left in the field. And that was Simona Halep, who won the tournament in 2019. That's it. Ans Jabber just moved into the semifinal. She beat Mary Buskova in three sets. You have two unranked German women played this morning. You have Alina Rybakina still in the field who plays tomorrow. She's a 17 seed. She's never been to a major quarterfinal. You go through the list of these players, Amanda Anisova, who has never won a major, there's one major champion left in the field. In the last eight majors, there has been two repeat champions. That would be Iga Switek, and that would be Ash Barty. But through that, there has been eight different women reach the final to either play one of those two or in the other four. It's a completely different. There have been... 10 women that were unranked in a semifinal in the last eight majors. So it's two every every major. 10 unranked women getting to the semifinals. Maria from Germany advances today. She's unranked. She's 34 years old. It's her first career semifinal. An incredible run. She'll never get here again. Yelena Ostapenko won a, won a major at 16 years old, the French Open. She hasn't been to a semifinal since. The women's game is crazy. You see big names go out in the first round. You see Gabi Muguruza go out in the first round. You see uh, Kar- Karolina Pushkeva go out in the second round. I guess Switek gets beat in the round of 16 after winning 37 matches in a row. It's completely fluid. There's only three seeds left in the women's draw. A 17 a three. And a fourteen. That's it. So, yes, you got Nadal and you got Djokovic, and many would argue. Well, men's tennis is more compelling. It's 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 a better watch than the women's game. I won't argue with that. I prefer watching men's tennis, although I do watch a lot of women's tennis as well. But when I look at well, what's what's the more interesting ending? Well, I look at the men's game in tennis like boxing or like UFC. Sometimes you get sick and tired of watching the same fight. Over the weekend, we saw Alex Volvanovsky fight Max Holloway. It was the third time. It felt tired. It felt, it felt done. It felt like we had seen this before. Oh, wait, we have three times. So... Nadal, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer—the these the combination of the three—we've seen that dynamic. We've seen that fight many, many times. And eventually, you just look and say, "Well, okay, could we see something fresh? Could we see an Alex Pereira fight Izzy out of, You know, could we see him fight Izzy? Could we see Alex Volkanovski move up in the in the weight ranks and fight somebody else? Could that be interesting?" and not fight Max Holloway? Is there something that is interesting around the corner that would be a better style fight than what we've already seen from these guys before? That's where I look at this dynamic and say, what, what, why is the women's game more interesting? Because you're going to see, in all likelihood, you're going to see a match that you've never seen before. When you get to the end of these events, in particular the final, which is where if you're just a casual fan, that's where people tune in. If you're only watching four tennis matches a year because you only watch the final of majors, you're like, these two again? It gets tired. Again, I'm going to watch it, but I'm just saying as a sport, if you want to make it grow, seeing the same guys play in the final every different major is, it's tired. It's been done it's like seeing that you know the Patriots be in the Super Bowl every year. Even if you're a full-time football fan, you're like, oh, the Patriots again. We gotta watch a game that finishes 16, 13. We gotta watch Tom Brady. We hate Tom Brady. We don't wanna see Tom Brady play again. Tell me I'm not true. I'm not right here. Tell me that, that if you're a sportsman, you haven't had these feelings. So the women's game, you might not know all the players that get. Are in the tournament, you might say, Well, this is Cinderella, I don't really care about this player. Fair, you could say, Well, this, this woman will never get here again. Fair, but is, is the men game growing any more by seeing Nadal? Joke, are you going to remember if Curios gets to the semifinal and he loses to Nadal? No, because who cares? You lost in the semifinal, okay? You made a good run. You'll talk about it for a day. You'll forget who Djokovic, uh, who Nadal played in the semifinal before you get to the damn final Sunday morning. Djokovic plays Cameron Norrie. If he beats the guy from Great Britain, sure, it's a great story. But if you're in Great Britain, you say, well, we already had a Brit win. Andy Murray actually beat Djokovic here. Norrie couldn't do it. So how good is he? Well, he's not, he's no Andy Murray. So... I think the tournament's been great all in all because they faced a lot of hurdles coming in. But to me, I worry about the men's game and its longevity because it's every time it's the same two people. It's the same combination. And you love to see Nadal, you love to see Djokovic win because they're great players. But if I'm the ATP, if I'm the sport of tennis, I look around and say, could one of you guys step up and beat them? Sure, you can beat them in Halle. Sure, you can beat the warm-up tournament before the major, but it's different when we get to a major and you got to win. You need to win to move on. You need to be in this position. It's a much different feeling. It's a much different stage. And nine times out of 10, these guys are not winning. That's why I give so much credence. I give so much respect to guys like Juan Martin Del Potro, to guys like Marin Cilic, to Daniil Medvedev, to Andy Murray, who have won a major in this era? They have done something that very few have. While Martín Del Potro beat Federer in the final to win the U.S. Open in 2009, he beat Djokovic. Or sorry, beat Nadal in the semifinal to 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 win his major. Not bad, Chilich. Defeated Roger Federer to win the U.S. Open. Didn't play uh, Djokovic in the final, but beat Kenny Shakur. He wins a major in this era at a U.S. Open. Again, not too shabby. Andy Murray beat Federer in the final of Wimbledon. He beat Djokovic in the semi. Andy Murray beats Djokovic in the in the gold medal game at the Olympics to win that gold medal. I give him a ton of creeds for that. I mentioned Daniil Medvedev beat Novak Djokovic in the final at the U.S. Open. So this is not any... This is... I just mentioned these are the names that, you, that come to mind. There's very few guys that have won a major in this era that are not Federer, that are not Djokovic, and that are not Nadal. They deserve a ton of credit for doing it because I just listed a ton of names earlier in my little sol- soliloquy here that haven't, that have been lauded as the next great players, and they haven't done shit, haven't gotten that close. They're, out, they're Every second major, they're out in the second round. Djokovic, Nadal, that never happens to them. They're consistent. They're not going to get bowed out early. Okay, they'll lose this set in the first round here, but they're not going to lose the match. They'll find a way and they'll cruise the rest of the way. That's what makes them great. But hearing, well, this guy's the next special one. This guy is going to break through. To me, that's just words. To me, that's fodder. And it means nothing until you see somebody do it. Until you see somebody physically beat one of these two guys, then it's all a bunch of nothing. It's all a bunch of, of speculative crap that will that will lead to will lead to nothing in and the grand scheme of things. Because you can okay, you have the media's attention because they're sick and tired of talking about the other two guys like I mentioned. But you didn't beat you don't beat them and you're just at that point you're just a guy that's getting talked about. But you got no hardware and at the end of the major, you're not playing there. So in the big picture scope of life, nobody gives a shit. So for guys like Taylor Fritz, Nick Kyrgios, Cameron Norrie, you have an opportunity to do something very few men have done. What a tournament If it would be is say if Nick Kyrgios or Taylor Fritz, if Taylor Fritz could beat Nadal tomorrow, beat potentially Kyrgios in the semifinal, then beat Djokovic in the final. That would be one of the best major wins because you beat two all-time grace to win your major at Wimbledon. Or if Kyrgios can beat Nadal, semi-beat Djokovic final, that's an all-time performance. Nobody will forget that. Now, will that happen? The to wait and see on that. I have my doubts because too many events, you say, well, this guy's got a good chance of beating Nadal. This guy's, I feel good about this guy beating Djokovic. And then you're up two sets to none and you choke it away. So interesting developments here, for sure. As we move forward, I guess I think the tournament's been very good. But the state of the men's and women's games, I think they're in very different places. And I'm curious if you are a tennis fan, what you, which which one's better? Is it better to have two great players that are constantly meeting in the final and it gets repetitive, or is it better in the women's game to have no definitive number one, no definitive Trojan horse, if you will, but to have a number of, you know, any, any number of women can win any different major at any time. What's, what's a better solution for a sport? What's a better position to be in for, for people to hook on for people to get interested and to sit down and watch a tennis match for, blank number of hours to me I'm going to go with the latter but maybe maybe some of you disagree and see see the the women's game as the the better alternative right now that it's better to have two guys that are are so great that you can market and I I just don't see it that way but may I could maybe uh maybe I'm off base we'll we'll touch on we'll touch on that as we go uh forward through the tournament. I wrote down Hockey Canada on my notes page here. I was going to go off about Hockey Canada. I had a point to make, and I forget about it now because I was I was going to talk about, what was it, Hockey Canada and the IHF. Oh, double IHF. This is what I want to talk about. The double IHF and the, the vote today where the double IHF, Russia and Belarus were... We're putting their request in to be allowed to participate in these overseas events again and for the World Juniors, World Hockey Championships, things of that nature. And it was denied by the IIHF because of basically the war and what's going on right now between Russia, Belarus, the Ukraine, and that area. Well, I had a conversation with my father yesterday. I think it was a good conversation. I, I it was an uh, interesting one. It came to mind when I brought, thought of double IHF, and we were discussing Hockey Canada and what they're going through right now. And if you're not familiar, Hockey Canada basically tried to, in essence, cover up a sexual assault case where a young woman said, you know, said she was raped by multiple members, sexually assaulted by multiple members of the um, 2017 World Junior. Team Canada team following their, their winning. And you've seen Kale McCarr, you've seen uh, Victor Mete come out and say they weren't participating in this. They had nothing to do with it. But it's been known for years and Hockey Canada just settled with with a, with a woman for a large sum. And with, with all, multiple events coming up this summer revolving around Hockey Canada, you've seen sponsors like Tim Hortons, seen sponsors like Scotiabank start to drop Hockey Canada. And this is an ongoing investigation. This is Tom Rennie is resigned, which is a big red flag to me. Why does he resign if it's just it's a simple and why are you paying somebody off if you believe you're innocent? I I grew up if you're innocent until proven guilty. You're not in, in my mind, and I think my parents will back me up. If you didn't do something wrong, you're not gonna say you did, because that's just it's stupidity. Why why have somebody tarnish your name? when you didn't do what they're alleging so to me paying somebody off go, without going to court is just in you know, basically saying that you're guilty nevertheless my larger point here on the double ihf not allowing the russian and belarus participants to compete at upcoming events and tying it to hockey canada is this conversation i have with my dad and my dad's a business person i when it comes to most things i i i love his opinion we we disagree a ton um uh you know we're very different i do love him for it that we are so different because life would be boring if we disagreed on everything but we you know he was we were talking about business and sponsorships and how it, you know he about how it relates to sports and he told me well noah maybe people want to partner with hockey canada because of the kids you'll have a you'll have a sponsorship say You know, what? we're not supporting Hockey Canada, but these young men that are going to be playing at this tournament, playing at the World Juniors come early August, we will partner with Hockey Canada for those kids to put money for them rather than the brand. And I thought about that and I said, well, that's a tough sell, especially in in 2022 with our cancel culture and everything that goes on with that. But I thought about that point from my father yesterday. And I, I do think it has merit. I think it's something that works. I think in business, um, business comes before scandals. Business comes before most things. But also, using that point, the the rationale to keep Russia and Belarus kids, Belarus young women, young men, basically young athletes, out of North American, out of IIHF-sanctioned events, is because there's a war going on. And these corporations disagree with the actions of Vladimir Putin and the Russian government. I couldn't agree more. I hate what's going on with the Ukraine. What's happening to the people over there is heinous. There's a war going on for no reason. And I will never accept that. I will never condone that behavior. So I'm all for it. But using my dad's logic, using his rationale on this, Well, not allowing Russian kids, Belarus, Belarusian kids, which is what they are. These are teenagers, they're kids, to not compete. Well, maybe you let them compete not because, hey, we're thinking about punishing Hockey Canada. We're we're not thinking about punishing Russia. We're going to let them play because they're children. They're not fighting the war. They're not the reason that our gas prices are astronomically high. They're not the reason that people are dead in the streets in the Ukraine every day. To me, I want to see Matt, Matt Michkov play. I saw him. I didn't get to see him live because he was in he was at uh, the other site. And he was in Red Deer for my brief time in Edmonton in December. But I know he's going to be a high draft pick. I know he's a superb talent. I want to see the kid play. He's not going to be able to play at the World Juniors now. He's going to miss out on a massive opportunity in his life because of of his government. But to me, if we see over the next month, which I expect to, that Hockey Canada gets a new title sponsor, that Hockey Canada gets support because it's going to be on TSN, it is a good marketing opportunity, and it's one of the biggest flagship events of the year, period, doesn't matter what it, when it comes to hockey, it can rival anything, the World Junior Hockey Championships, millions and millions of people watch it on TSN every year, then why not allow, if you're doing it for the Canadian kids, who these group of kids have nothing to do with what happened in 2017 with with this poor young woman, if, or if, if with the alleged rape, sexual assault scandal, well these Russian kids have nothing to do with what happened is with what's happening in Russia right now they have no control over Vladimir Putin they have no say in how that country is ran so why should they be punished if Hockey Canada is bailed out if Hockey Canada is given money if they're given opportunity then those Russian kids should get it too because they've earned it They deserve. They did nothing wrong. So to me, if it's frame well, you know we're we're partnering with Hockey Canada because these young men, we want to support the tournament for the for the men. Okay, we're not real happy with Hockey Canada right now, but we want to be here for these young kids as they as they grow into future NHL stars. Well, if you're the IHF, you can say we hate what's happening in Russia we've kept teams out of tournaments so far it's had zero effect on stopping the war it's had zero effect on stopping vladimir putin and they're still invading ukraine day by day if nothing changes you can say you know what we want to let these kids play these are russian children they're going to be playing in the nhl the war still might be going on for christ's sakes so you know what we just want we want to have them to have the opportunity to have the Their lifetime dream. This is going to be the biggest stage 90% of these kids they get to play on. And maybe this is just my worldview. (laughs) And I realized I talked yesterday. about how other people's actions can, can sometimes affect you. I talked about gun control. And how people that use guns safely. Yeah, you're doing it right. But you might be affected because of these mass shooters. And it might sound... I'm just talking in in broad strokes here where I believe a a company will will go out there in the next month and be the title sponsor of the World Junior Hockey Championship. Other than TS, I'm talking about a brand. I'm talking about a bank. I don't know what it'll be. A car company, you name it. Maybe it'll be Nike. They don't care about bad press. They get bad press every month. Somebody will hop on board here. And with all that being said, if you're going to Frame something that for the for the Canadian kids and for this tournament to do it for them, all the all worthwhile. You're you're, you're partnering with Hockey Canada. It's it's a facade. It's all bullshit. We know it, but it's all it's public relations. That's how it works. That's what public relations is. It's bullshit. Took that course in university. It's basically lying 101. It's like being a lawyer. Well, then the Russian and Belarusian teams should be allowed to compete as well. I realized they were voted no today I realized that it's not going to change but I felt like I I should say something here because I don't think it's right that they're not allowed the they're not given the opportunity to play they should be and I'm not, my one voice is not going to change anything but I just wanted to provide my perspective and some thoughts on it after having a, a good chat with my my old man yesterday. Let's pivot to baseball. Let's talk about trade deadline. Trade deadlines at the end of July, and baseball is interesting—an interesting spot because there's very there's still a few teams that are on the periphery that you could argue are still competitive, are still in a position where they can compete for a playoff spot. The Seattle Mariners are four games back of the final wild card spot. I don't see them offloading. They beat the Padres yesterday. I still believe they're a good team. They always get close to making the playoffs but fall short. The Anaheim Angels are still in the mix. You have the Cleveland Guardians are still playing for something. The three American League uh, East teams, of course, with the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, and the Tampa Bay Rays are all in that mix. So there are teams that are still fighting. But the Yankees, you know, are going to make the playoffs. In all likelihood, the Astros are going to cruise to a division title. looks more and more like the Minnesota Twins are going to win the American League Central uh, you go in the National League, you got Brewers and, Brewers and Cardinals, I think will be a battle for the rest of the... I don't see either team getting a massive lead in that division. Both teams are relatively close. I expect the team that doesn't win the division to make the playoffs. You got the Padres who are skidding a bit right now with the Dodgers catching a hot streak. Padres should be in the playoff hunt the whole season. So There are some teams in the middle, you know, just kind of muffling along. But for the best teams, for the Yankees, for the Dodgers, who are going to be looking around, I just thought it would be good to bring up some names around baseball. These pitchers are on bad teams that they will likely be looking to trade, expiring contract, things of that nature that teams can look to add. Let's start with starting pitching, and it starts with the Miami Marlins, and they got two guys that ring out. They got Pablo Lopez, who's got a sub three ERA right now. And you got Sa- Sandy Alcantara, who might be the best pitcher in baseball. Him and Shane McClanahan have been the two best pitchers. They're both pitching in Florida. Obviously, McClanahan for the Rays and Alcantara for, for the for the Miami Marlins. But I look at both these guys. If The Marlins, I think, will not be trading Sandy Al- Alcantara because it's hard to find elite starting pitching it's hard to find a guy that can be an ace of your staff even if you are rebuilding even if your team isn't great yet so perhaps they they hold on to him and say you know what we, we can't get sandys every day and we're, we're gonna but teams i think will make calls they'll put a big package together maybe there's something that can happen pablo lopez is a guy i think they'll trade because they're gonna want to get some assets he's a pitcher pitcher's had a really solid season and he's 16 to 17 starts in. He's got a sub three ERA. The Miami Marlins have really good pitching. They just don't have consistent enough hitting. That's why they don't win any games. But for, for a team like that, I mean, you look close to home, the Toronto Blue Jays should be making calls on Pablo Lopez because are you looking at their starting pitching lately? I'm going to talk about their bullpen too, which stinks, but the Toronto Blue Jays starting pitching hasn't been great either. Jose Barrios has been a trash can. Uh, Kevin Gosman got injured the other night, likely going to miss one start, but Ryu is up for the season. You got Ross Stripling. They need another starting pitcher before the postseason. And to me, Pablo Lopez is better than Barrios, obviously, right? is they signed long-term, but Lopez will be starting in the playoffs before Barrios right now, point blank and the period, no debate there. You go through a lot of these names, and I, I, I think Boston... Yeah, you got some guys. You like Evaldi. You got Nick Pavetta. Chris Sale is rehab starting. I, you can't rely on him being healthy. But they could certainly add another starting pitcher to, to their team to try to improve, to try to get better. The Dodgers potentially could look at it. They always had, they had Max Scherzer last year. You could add a, a big name with a Pablo Lopez there. So these teams that are in the, the Cardinals, the Cardinals got Albert Pujols. They got um, Yadier Molina and they got Adam Wainwright the last year of their of their careers, you might as well go all in because then you got to make decisions on where you, you want to see this team go. You look at Dakota H- Dakota Hudson, you look at Jordan Hicks. To me, they can add with a guy like Pablo Lopez, but he's a guy for me. Merrill Kelly. Is that guy sounds like a hockey player. No, he's a starting pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks have been surprisingly decent this year. They're not going to make the playoffs, but they've been better than I thought they'd be. But they, Merrill Kelly's a good pitcher. He's a guy that can be at the back end of your rotation. He could maybe be a starter. He could be a, a long term bullpen arm where you put him there in the postseason. He can throw you multiple innings. So he's an option for a lot of teams. Um, the Brewers might not want to give up a whole lot. They got a good team already. I like the Brewers. You know, Rowdy Telez was always a cheap ad, and he's been really good there. Yelich has started to find his game a bit. Victor Caratini's been a solid catcher. So, maybe you don't want to break the bank on him, but he's a guy that could be added. Martin Perez, Texas Rangers. Texas is still in the mix for a wild card spot. They spent a lot of money on Corey Seager and they spent a lot of money on on uh, uh Simeon from the Blue Jays but I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. They're certainly not catching the Houston Astros. So Martin Perez, who's a veteran, who's bounced around, was on the Red Sox last year, is having the season of his life, and it's not going to keep up. He's not a guy that's going to be great for multiple years, but as a guy for one season, a team will overpay for him and bring him in. Martin Perez, another guy that team should be kicking tires on. And this is a guy, to me, that is right up there with Pablo Lopez, when it comes to value and somebody I'd be really, I'd press to try to get. And that's Paul Blackburn, who's a starting pitcher for the Oakland Athletics. Oakland stinks. They might have the worst record in baseball come the end of the year. They're rebuilding. They're tanking. They might try to move the team. They're they're just in complete disarray. They traded Chapman. They traded Matt Olson. They, they traded Chris Davis a few years. They've traded everybody off this team. They stink. They suck. They're completely abysmal. But Paul Blackburn is having a really solid season. He's a good starting pitcher. And I think if you look at Oakland, you got to say, well, we got to have at least one starting pitcher that we can be happy about on this roster. Well, if a team thinks they can win a World Series, it doesn't matter the price. You'll spend it because you want that depth. Toronto Blue Jays were lauded as the best team and the favorite to win the World Series beginning and start of the season. That's not just fodder. For once, that's not just people in Toronto making that opinion because it's normally just what happens about the Maple Leafs. This is writers at the mothership. People around North America were saying that the Toronto Blue Jays were the best team in baseball to start the season. Well, I look at the way they played so far this year. It's been a disappointing start because they're they're 15 back of the Yankees. I get it. They're still in a wild card spot, but they could play a best two out of three wild card spot against uh, the Red Sox, and they might be out just like that. Their season's done. It, it'll be the same thing that happened with them in the Rays right after the pandemic. So is that a positive season if you lose to the Red Sox in a best two out of three, and then you're gone home? It's not. So to me, it's not It's not an overreaction to say that the Toronto Blue Jays have been a disappointment for all the fanboys on Twitter that are like, whoa, all these games over 500. Well, you got your ass kicked against Oakland last night. You've lost four in a row, and... Your pitching stinks. We'll get to their bullpen. Could you use a Paul Blackburn? Yeah, I think you need one. If you want to realistically believe that you can win a World Series, I look at Boston and I look at Toronto. I have more faith in Toronto being good long-term than the Red Sox, although the Red Sox just seem to find a way to win in the postseason. Toronto has no history of doing that, so I give more credence – to the Boston Red Sox doing that. Although I hate the starting pitching for the Red Sox too, because I don't trust Bavetta. I don't trust Evaldi. Go through that list. There's not many guys I look at him, I really want to start him tonight. I look at him in a playoff game. I say, he's going to give you two and two thirds and you have to go to the bullpen. But if you're the Red Sox, I mean, you got Bogarts. You got Devers. I love Devers. He's my guy. You got JD Martinez, JBJ in the field. You got solid bats. Your bullpen's better than I thought it was going to be add another elite starting pitcher maybe you maybe you go on a run Red Sox beat the Rays last night easily they're they're I'm looking at this litmus test for for the Red Sox they got the Rays this week and then they have a four game set with the Yankees How do they play against the Yankees How does the starting pitching hold up? Because the Yankees, you're going to see Nestor Cortez. You're going to see Jamison Talon. You're going to see Garrett Cole. You're going to see uh, Jordan Montgomery. They have an elite, elite staff there that have played unbelievable all season long. How does it shape up? How does it match up against the Yankees? That's a big telltale sign there. Those are starting pitchers for me that I think, and I'm sure I'm missing a few guys. If you you listen to podcasts, you think of a a few different starters on bad teams because these are just bad teams. Maybe there's a team that falls off before the trade deadline. Like aforementioned Seattle, the White Sox, as you know, they've been horrible this year. Maybe they say, you know what, we got to sell. We got we got to make some moves. We got to trade away pieces. What if the White Sox say, we got Tony LaRusa we're going to miss the playoffs. What if Jose Abreu became available? These are just pitchers, but he's a guy I would trade anything for. I love Jose. He's an AL MVP. He's a stud player. He can play DH. He can play first base. Maybe that happens with with a team. It will. It happens every year. where After the all-star break, management teams meet and they look at each other in the mirror and say, holy crap, we're not going to make the playoffs. We're not that good. We got two months to salvage this. Can we? No. The answer is no. Then you trade your best pieces and hope for the best moving forward. That is what... That's what happens. Bullpen. Bullpen. Some good good options here. David Robertson. You might have heard David Robertson before. He's played a lot in Major League Baseball. He's played, uh, played for the Yankees for a long time, won a World Series with them. He's played for the Chicago White Sox. He, he's currently pitching for the uh, Chicago Cubs as their closer. David Robertson's a small little white dude, but he can pitch. He's been in big moments his entire career. He's always been an eighth, ninth inning pitcher. He's got a 164 ERA this season. He's He's been a solid performer there. And if you're looking for help at the back end of your bullpen, David Robertson is a guy who's been there, done that. He wins big games. For a team like the Toronto Blue Jays, for a team like the San Diego Padres, what sounds like a better option? Trevor River, Trevor Richards in the eighth inning, you know, Noe Martinez in the in the eighth inning for the Padres, or a David Robertson who could give you a hold to get into your closer, to go into, to get you to Jordan Romano. To get you to the closer. That sounds like a better option than Trevor Richards or Trent Thornton or whatever option you can throw at. David Robertson, good ad. Michael Falmer, this guy used to be a starting pitcher. Detroit Tigers too, you know, turned into a, a closer who's having a great season for a dog shit team in Detroit, who's been one of the most disappointing teams to me. I thought they'd be at least competitive. I thought they'd at least be relevant. I thought I, they'd at least make me want to watch them. I don't. Although I do, I find myself watching Detroit Tigers games on MLB.com because I bought the package, so I got to watch games. And they got a lot of good, you know, Spencer Torrickson's a good young player. They still got Miggy Cabrera. They just called up Shane Green. I, for some reason, I, I watched Detroit Tigers. It's sick. I know their team is hot garbage. But I do find myself watching the Detroit Tigers every now and then. But Fulmer's been a surprising good ad for them. He's a guy in the back end of a bullpen. Again, that could be a closer. That could be a guy that pitches in high leverage moments. Dylan Tate. Baltimore Orioles. Dylan Tate, he's a he's a hard-throwing lefty. He's a th- uh, side armor. He's a, got a weird delivery, but he's been a solid bullpen guy for a number of years now in Major League Baseball. He's pitching in Baltimore, so you've likely never heard of him. But he, he's always putting up good numbers. He's got good splits. He pitches well in big moments. And, again, again, another guy that you can add to your bullpen to improve it to what you have right now. There's a ton of teams that could use the help of some of these guys. Because, yeah, you can look around and say, well, the Dodgers are the prohibitive favorite. Well, using that logic, you wouldn't make a move because the Dodgers have been the prohibitive favorite to win the World Series for the last five or six years. They've won one. Yeah, they've been to three World Series. They won one. So can the Braves win another World Series? I absolutely think they can. Freddie Freeman scandal or not. Matt Olson, Dansby Swanson. You know, I watched that game last night where they beat the Cardinals. They still have clutch bats. You still got Ocuna. You still got Dansby Swanson. You got Matt Olson. Harris has been a great find in center field. They got a team that could go all the way again. I truly believe that. The starting pitching, Ian Anderson, who's got getting the ball tonight in game two against the Cardinals, hasn't exactly been lights out. Maybe get a Lopez, maybe get a Blackburn. And you say, you know what? We're going to take our chances. We got a good chance. I think the Braves are a team that could potentially still catch the Mets. Next, Mets have Scherzer and DeGrom coming. Scherzer is scheduled to pitch tonight after being out for a number of weeks. DeGrom is pitching in Triple A. He could make a start potentially before the All-Star break. I think it'll come after the All-Star break just for more precaution, more time off. The All-Star break is – the All-Star game is a uh, – a week from tonight, actually, home run derby is in 13 days. So that that's on the horizon. Um, but yeah, that to me, the Braves are a team that could use another starting pitcher. The Toronto Blue Jays are a team that you could use. I mean, every team that other than the Yankees, you could argue. I I still think Gonsolin has been awesome. Tyler Anderson's been great in in for the Dodgers. But are either of those guys going to be great when you need them to? The Padres could use another starting pitcher because Blake Snell has been a disaster. Get more depth, try to figure out Blake Snell, get him some time off, put him on the IL. Maybe he can find his form again. Clevenger's been really solid since coming off the IL. Blake Snell, on the other hand, has been he's got close to a six ERA, and he's lost every start he's been in this season. So wait to see there. But a lot of really good options out there. A lot of really good players to look at. These these are going to take a lot of prospects, but for these teams, you want to put yourself in a position where you can win a championship. You want to put yourself in a position where you can look in the mirror and say, you know what, we could win the title this year. I always point to the Blue Jays because they're the only Canadian team. With the bullpen they have right now and with the starting pitching they have right now, they're not winning a World Series. Point blank. I don't care how much people like the bats. I don't care how much people, Bobichet, Vlade doesn't matter. They'll overco- they're not overcoming it. The way they're built right now, Brios can improve, and start to pitch at a four ERA, and th- their pitchers can start to to get better and pitch at a more respectable level. If your bullpen has Trent Thornton and Trevor Richards pitching in big moments. You're not winning, period. Romano is a terrible pitcher on the road. You need help. Sergio Romo and Panda or Banda, whatever the hell pitcher that is got off waivers, is not going to be the solution. You need to do more. Trade deadlines in a couple of weeks. Like I said, the Cardinals-Braves series is an interesting one for me to watch. Brewers walked off the Cubs last night. You got Red Sox raised before Red Sox-Yankees this upcoming weekend. You got the Blue Jays in Oakland for game two of a three-game set this evening. National Hockey League. A lot of interesting stuff today. Let's start with a historic signing, historic, a historic day in the National Hockey League's history where I was talking about San Jose yesterday with what they're going to do at head coach. And... I said, well, they fired Bob Bugner, which kind of came out of nowhere. I had, I had remembered after the podcast that Doug Wilson was stepping down from his perch, that he was going to leave the organization. He was going to retire so that San Jose was going to be looking for a new general manager. Basically meaning that the firing of Bob Bugner was a owner's decision. There is no president of hockey ops and San Jose was searching for a new general manager, which is a really tight predicament, it's tight squeeze with the draft coming up in two days. But San Jose today named a new general manager, and that general manager is Mike Greer. Mike Greer, you might know the name. He's a 14-year NHL veteran. He was a tough-nosed player back in his day, was never afraid to fight, was always in corners, was a hard-hitting guy, and had a very solid pro career. And Mike Greer getting this job is even more special. It's even more historic because Mike Greer is the first African-American, is the first black general manager in NHL history. First off, hats off to Mike Greer. He didn't get a job because of his ethnicity. He didn't get the job because of a token black person. He's worked in organizations. He's worked in in lower leagues to be promoted to get this opportunity and yes, Mike Greer is ex San Jose Shark, but he's paid his dues to get this opportunity. I think it's awesome that Mike Greer is the new general manager, and he's got a tough job here. It's a great, you know, it's a great day where he gets the job. But I, I talked about it yesterday. He's got to look around, and say we still got Eric Carlson, we still got Brent Burns, we got that massive Mark Andre Mark Edward Vlasic contract, we got a lot of shit here that I don't want if we're going to be competitive and he's, he's got to hire a new head coach. It's he's got to look around and say, he's got to find a new head coach relatively quick. I'm sure he's known he's going to be getting the job for some time. So I don't think it will be a long process before he names a head coach. I have no idea who it'll going to, who it's going to be because they fired a lot of their staff on hand, but Mike Greer might have a relationship with a guy that he says, you know what? You can be the head coach here. We're in this phase where we don't know what our team is. We're likely not going to be competitive. We're likely not going to be in the title window and you can help build the culture of this team who that'll be. Like I said, I have no clue right now, but Mike Greer, every time a GM is hard, it's a celebration, but it's also okay. What now? What's next for you? What, what moves are you planning to make to either improve or to me, the way to go with this team is to completely overhaul this roster. You're not going to be able to trade everybody. To me, get Mark Edward Vlasic, trading him is almost an impossibility because of the number of years left on that deal. And just, I don't see a team saying, yeah, you know what, we'll take Mark, Mark Edward Vlasic off your hands. We'll we'll get rid of your problems so we can have another one. That normally doesn't happen. San Jose, I think to get rid of Vlasic is going to have to buy him out. Brent Burns, maybe Eric Carlson going have a good start to next season. And even though he's at $11 million, if you eat some of that money, you can find a way to trade him to another team that feels like they're in a position to win a Stanley Cup. That remains to be seen, but I I could see it happening where teams say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to make a move here. Eric Carlson can still play. I wouldn't want him on my team, but there's a sucker born every day. Maybe somebody says, you know what, I'll take him. I'm curious to see who he hires as a head coach. I'm curious to see what he does with this roster because they're very much an interesting spot. They're a team that is not very good, has limited cap space, and they, they, they've they already signed Tomas Hurdle, but it's also what are you going to do now? What does this roster look like come October with all these contracts and a number of players who have been on this team for an extremely long period of time? But congratulations to Mike Greer. He deserves this opportunity, and it's a great day for the NHL in that sense. Casey DeSmith signed a two-year extension worth $1.8 million with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's a a backup goalie to Tristan Jari. So Pittsburgh, with this signing, it likely means they're going to come back with the same goalie tandem. You know, I heard Gordon Miller say on Overdrive yesterday that he thought that Marc-Andre Fleury would end back with – finish his career with Pittsburgh, I don't see that happening because I still think Marc-Andre Fleury believes he'd be a number one goaltender. And I think he looks at the lack of goaltending talent available and says, I'm going to be paid like a starter, so why go back to Pittsburgh and be a backup? He might have a better opportunity to win, although I don't think Pittsburgh's a title team right now. They do have $21 million remaining in salary cap to to play around with. They got two restricted free agents in Kasperi Kapanen. And the uh, the other um, wasn't Dumoulin. They got another another winger that they need to sign. His name's I'm losing his name right now. I read it earlier. That'll bother me. But they got two restricted free agents. Then they have Evgeny Melkin and they have Chris Letang that they could potentially sign. Danton Heinen, sorry, Danton Heinen is the guy, the former Boston Bruin. So they have the opportunity to re-sign both Heinen and Capen with that money. And then you have Letang and you have Melkin. Cole McDonald's going to join tomorrow. We're going to talk about Pittsburgh. We're going to talk about Flurry. He really likes to. T- I know he's a big Flurry guy. We're obviously going to talk about um, Montreal with the draft and what what they're going to do there, who they should pick, you know, what they do with Carey Price, and where this team goes mo- moving forward. But we're also going to talk about Pittsburgh with Malkin, Latang. Would Cole resign either of these guys? What kind of deals? What kind of money are these guys worth at this point in their career? And I wouldn't be surprised if either guys resign. I think Latang has a much better chance of returning to Pittsburgh, but I don't think they want to sign either guy to a long term contract, which I totally understand. But we'll see where that goes uh, moving forward. So Pittsburgh gets Keys. It's a good contract. It's a backup goalie. He's not getting a crazy amount of money. He's proven he can be a solid backup in this league, an undrafted guy that's earned an opportunity. He's 30 years old. Pittsburgh's got Sibili and Jari had a really good season last year. Dismissed a solid two. So I don't mind that contract one bit. I mentioned when I'm right on this show, I like to point it out. I will point out when I'm wrong because it's called be. It's got to be fair and you got to go both ways here. But I said yesterday, about I was talking about the Ottawa Senators and how that organization makes questionable decisions. Questionable is a nice word. I think they make a lot of stupid decisions. And they decide to let a guy like Nick Paul go, and he signed a seven-year contract with Tampa, just over $3 million, pretty nice contract for both teams. You move on, to a quick piece of business. Reportedly, Ottawa would not offer Nick Paul over $3 million because they enjoy being two years away from being two years away. But now today, like I predicted, they have to buy out a contract that was idiotic from the beginning. They paid a guy a ton of money because they thought he was a high-skilled forward. That was never his skill set. He's a physical presence. That was not a goal scorer. But again, teams are stupid. Ottawa's just one of them, They but they do this a lot. And Ottawa, the Ottawa Senators today put... Colin White on unconditional waivers with the purpose of purpose of buying out that contract, meaning that Colin White is lost. If you can believe this, the last four four years of his contract are bought out. Oh, he's only 25, and you're buying out buying out a player, which way to go? And since he's under 26, the buyout will say the Senators 3.85 3.875 million of White's 4.75 million cap over the next two seasons. And result in 5.375 million in additional cap space for the 2024-2025 season. The buyout will then leave a cap charge of 875,000 in the following three seasons. It's a good piece of business, in essence, but every time you buy out a player that isn't your signing, it's proving that you're bad at what you do. It proves it's a bad contract, it's a bad idea, and the guy that you chose to ride with, Colin White's been injured all the time. He's inconsistent. And he was never a goal scorer where you pay him you paid him to be, it's just another bad deal. I don't like to bury Colin White. I don't enjoy talking negative about the Ottawa Senators, but when you smell a rat, give it cheese. To me, Colin White is i don't know where his career goes Uh, to me he's a league minimum player next year after getting a buyout if if he gets one he's constantly injured he's a guy that dj smith i think wanted to just tear his head off this season because of how inconsistent this player is so i don't know where this goes now for colin white it's a tough tough look for him ottawa has to chew on it they got 875 against the cap that doesn't hurt them because they don't spend to the cap but Again, it's just a sign of a a signing that didn't work, that hasn't paid off, and you let a guy walk out the door who contributed in the playoffs in a major way to Tampa getting to the third straight Stanley Cup final, where Colin White did nothing to contribute to anything. He didn't contribute to Ottawa having any kind of success. He didn't contribute to Ottawa being relevant to being competitive in his entire time in Ottawa. But I, I had this prediction yesterday. It ended up coming true. So good for me, I guess. Let's wrap up today's show with some news on the Toronto Maple Leaf front that I saw Nick Kiprios, uh tweet out today. And that is that no offer of a contract extension has been made from the Toronto Maple Leafs to pending unrestricted free agent goaltender Jack Campbell meaning he hasn't heard anything. They have not offered him a deal yet. Free agency is next week. They haven't talked to him about an extension since the season ended. And basically, they are letting Jack Campbell walk into Freighton's. Now, Kipper's pretty tied into this because he's been a big Jack Campbell guy since he got to Toronto. Now, I am a little skeptical because I am a Kipper fan. I wish he was still on uh, Sportsnet you know, on hockey night in Canada, I might listen to the panel more, but I do. I know he's very close to Jack Campbell. I know he's a, was a, a super fan of this trade. And I think he's just a fan of Jack as a person. I get it. So I do. I think, I don't think Kipper is lying, but I am a little skeptical because of Kipper being such a fan of the guy and their relationship and everything that is tied with that. So if Toronto doesn't offer Jack a contract, to me, that doesn't that doesn't signify that this team is not doing something smart. That doesn't tell me that this team is completely off the rails. It just tells me that they believe that there's better options available, which I completely agree with. They it tells me that they'd rather work on trying to convince Marc-Andre Fleury to come to Toronto. They'd rather try to work on signing Billy Husso, making a, a goaltending move that is a net positive and not sticking with the status quo which they know doesn't work because they've lost in the first round, the last two seasons with Jack Campbell at the helm. If New Jersey wants to give Jack Campbell a boatload of money, let them, let them. But if you can get a better deal, if you can find a better goaltender around the same price, I would do it. Not offering Jack Campbell a deal. There's, this is business. Okay, his feelings might be hurt. He's a Toronto kid. I don't know what he... Clearly, this is from the Jack Campbell camp, getting this out. This is, the lease wouldn't have leaked this. How Kipper would have got this? Probably from Jack Campbell's agent because they know he's on a radio show. This is how this business works. Jack Campbell's upset. He hasn't got a contract offer. Okay, I don't feel sorry for you. This is Again, this is business. Business is ruthless. This isn't about your little feelings. This isn't about... Okay, you didn't get a. You felt like you're going to get a contract offer. You felt like they're going to be on their knees for you to come back. Well, they aren't. Get over it. Make them pay at a different location. No sympathy for Jack Campbell whatsoever. He, to me, he leaked this 100% and he's looking for to put some pressure on the lease and for pundits to say, well, why, are, why aren't they talking to Jack Campbell? It's, who are they going to get now? Who's in net? And it starts anarchy. And maybe they get a text. Maybe they get a call. Don't call. Let them walk. Who cares? Just like you try, you let Ilya Mikheyev walk. Because if Ilya Mikheyev and his agent, Darren Ferris, believe that, or Dan Milstein, believe that, want 4.5 to 5.5 million in free agency, you let him walk. You don't offer him a contract. You offer him nothing because he's not worth three. He's had hands for one year in a contract season. How many times have we seen this? How many times have we seen the guy be complete? Just a, another player. He gets into a contract season. He turns into Wayne Gretzky. I wouldn't. That's not a bet I'd make. Four and a half to five, five million for Ilya Makedov. NWA, no fucking way. That's it for today. Like Cole McDonald will be on the show tomorrow. We're going to talk about a lot of different hockey topics. Also get in some baseball. He's a big baseball guy. I'll talk about the trade deadline with him. And we'll, we'll talk about the Jays game tonight and how he looks at the starting pitching and the bullpen for the Jays. But Cole is also a big Montreal fan. I, I want to get his take on what, what he wants to see them do with the number one pick, what to do with Carrier Price this summer, Malkin, Latang, and some other uh, players to look out for ahead of free agency next week. So hope you guys all have a great night. Talk to you this time tomorrow. To the point.